Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello, faithful friends, and thank you for joining me as we continue our look into the Gnostic Syriac Infancy Gospels. Now, this will be the twelfth part in looking at this book of Infancy 1, also known as the Arabic Infancy Gospel. And the reason that I'm bringing this is actually twofold. One is, this may possibly be my final sermon ever, Therefore, I want to do something that I know will be unpopular, unlike the parables of Yahshua. And number two, because this stimulates our way of thinking. We run the danger, just like the Judeo-Christians, oftentimes of becoming locked within a box, a box of our own worldview, and therefore do not like to have our thoughts, our belief, and our faith challenged. And that, my friend, is why I am bringing this particular long-running study into the Syriac Infancy Gospel to you. Because I personally believe that any time our belief system is challenged, that's to the glory of God. Now, what we're going to be taking a look at this Wednesday evening pertains more so to the adolescence and or the childhood of our beloved Redeemer, Yahshua Messiah. And I'll be going back into the canonized, authorized version of the Bible to prove that certain points of what we are covering could be considered legit. Now, this also depends on a particular person's worldview because another man could come in and say, well, the fact that this account towards the conclusion of Infancy 1 aligns and is very similar to much of what we read within our New Testament, proves the fact that these fables are plagiarized from the Word of God. So again, I am not preaching this because I think that it is on par with the canonized version of the Bible, but I'm preaching this again for two reasons. This may be my last, and I don't want my last sermon to be the most popular thing I've done. And also, Because this challenges our thought. Perhaps you understand why it is I'm doing this. Because there are 20, 30 men within Christian identity who preach to the choir. Who tell them what they want to hear. Who never seemingly are able to stimulate their thought process. But rest assured you will be stimulated today. Because we're going to turn now to the 17th chapter in the book of Infancy 1. And again, if you're just now joining me in this particular series, know that we have moved into the third and final 
part of the book of Infancy 1, which means that most of what we're covering right here I've covered already in the book of Infancy 2, and it is more attributed to Doubting Thomas as an author. So without further ado, beginning in chapter 17, verse 1, we read, On another day, Yahweh Yahshua, going out into the street and seeing some boys who were meant to play, joined himself to their company. Now understand that in this particular study, I'm going to be using the terminology Yahweh Yahshua, because we're dealing with the statement, Lord Jesus, quote unquote, a polite way of saying Yahweh Yahshua. And what the Lord Jesus is doing here, for all intents and purposes, is normal behavior. There are men who will come in and say, none of this sounds like the Yahshua of the New Testament. Well, that stands to reason because the New Testament doesn't really discuss Yahshua's childhood nor his adolescence. But in these accounts, you don't see anything far removed from what Yahshua did as an adult. And if we understand that with Yahweh God, all things are possible, then none of this can be discredited. None of this that we are discussing this Wednesday evening can be thrown out and said, oh, well, Jesus Christ didn't do that, right? Because obviously Christ is able to play hide and seek with boys his age, right? Verse 2. But when they, the other children, saw him, they hid themselves and left Christ to seek for them. So, this is a normal game of hide-and-seek, something that I'm sure you're familiar with, because even us, who were born and raised in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, we did not have smartphones or video games or 500-channel cable television. We did not have half of the distractions that we do today, did we? Therefore, Jesus Christ and children of his era, like those in ours, had to do things to entertain himself. And one of the surest way to entertain yourself is to play with other boys your age, to play hide and seek, etc. Verse 3. Yahweh Yahshua came to the gate of a certain house and asked some women who were standing there where the boys were gone. So he just goes to the gate of a certain house. That means the front door. And he asked the women that were within that house, do you know where those other Israelites went? The ones that I was playing with? The ones that hid. What did they say? Well, verse 4 says that when they answered that there was no one there, Yahweh Yahshua said, Who are those whom ye see in the furnace? Whom are those that you see within the furnace? Perhaps this narrative is already taking you to another account that you should be familiar with, found in Daniel chapter 3. When Yahshua says, who are those whom ye see in the furnace? Verse 5 confirms that all of those women answered. They were kids of three years old. Three being the imperative number and furnace being what we should focus on. Three children within a furnace here considered to be kids. Notice that there is a difference between children and or boys and kids. Kids are the offspring of sheep and or goats. Children are the offspring of human beings. Therefore, this is an important point 
And the first point I'm going to make this Wednesday evening. Do not allow the enemy to come in and denigrate your children down to the level of goyim and or cattle. By allowing you to call your own children and or blessings of Yahweh God to be merely kids. Perhaps you've heard this before. Men and women who come to you and say, my kids will be upset if I'm not there to meet them when they get off the school bus. But they're not kids. Kids is a derogatory statement. Kids makes humans into animals. And my friends, that is exactly what we're discussing right here. They answered and said they were kids of three years old. Now, before we go into what Yahshua does in discovering these three boys hidden within this furnace, turn with me to the third chapter of the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into a fiery furnace. Then these three men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Perhaps you know this story. Notice that there are three men. In what we covered today, there were three boys, both of the age of three years old, and they were hiding within a what? A furnace. Granted, that furnace was not turned on, but we should be able to note the similarities here. That this is not far removed from what we are taught in the Old Testament. And being that Yahshua was but a youth, well, that would make sense, would it not? Well, what happens? Verse 24 in Daniel 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Do you see how three becomes four? Do you see how three children were cast into a fiery furnace? Not far removed from these same three children that Yahshua is playing with, who go within a furnace, right? But this is a simple game of hide-and-seek. So he asked those ladies back in chapter 17 of infancy 1, where were those boys? And they say, hey, we don't know. And then Yahshua says, are you sure? Who are those whom ye see in the furnace? The women in verse 5 answered and say they were kids of three years old. Next verse. Then Jesus cried out aloud and said, come out hither, O ye kids, to your shepherd. And presently the boys came forth like kids and leaped about him, which, when the women saw, 
they were exceedingly amazed and trembled. Trembled because of fear. And they trembled because they realized Yahshua had special powers, did he not? Notice also that in this account, Thomas, or the author who compiled this, differentiates the difference between boys and kids. Verse 7 says, presently the boys, the Israelites, the humans, came forth like kids, like animals, like baby goats, and leaped about him. When the women saw it, that was why they were exceedingly amazed, and that was why they trembled. I also want you to understand something else. So if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel according to John. And in the Gospel according to John, in the 10th chapter, we're going to read a statement that I'm sure you're familiar with, but I feel it bears repeating here. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, this is the parable of the Good Shepherd. But this is the parable of the Good Shepherd, as spoken by Yahshua Messiah, explained by our Redeemer. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Where is that found? Chapter 10, verse 7, in the Gospel according to St. John. I am the door of the sheep, says Yahshua. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. But the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they, the Israelites, might have life, and that they the Israelites might have it more abundantly. Pay close attention. Verse 11, here in John chapter 10, Yahshua, Jesus the Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Yahshua is the good shepherd, right? Therefore, back here in infancy 1, chapter 17, what happens? Presently, the boys came forth like kids, right? Baby sheep, jumping about Yahshua. What happens? Verse 8. Then they immediately worshipped Yahweh Yahshua and beseeched him, saying, O Yahweh Yahshua, son of Mary, thou art truly that good shepherd of Israel. Did you hear it? The unnamed women say you truly are the shepherd of Israel. Why? Well, he already said it. In verse 6, Jesus Christ said aloud, Come out ye hither, O ye kids, to your shepherd. And presently the boys came forth and leaped about him. When the women saw, they immediately worshipped the Lord Jesus, quote-unquote. And not only that confirmed what we already covered in the 10th chapter of John, that Yahshua was the good shepherd. And this was yet more proof of that, but albeit Yahshua was but a youth. Our Lord and Jesus, the Son of Mary, Thou art truly that good shepherd of Israel. Have mercy on thy handmaids who stand before thee, who do not doubt, but that thou, O Lord, art come to save and not to destroy. Let's read that properly. What do the women say? Thou, O Yahweh, O Lord, O Tetragrammatron, art come to save and not to destroy. They were exceedingly amazed and they trembled because they knew that this was not a power bestowed a common man. That Jesus Christ was able to turn children, boys, into what? Little sheep. 
being the shepherd thereof. They also say, Have mercy on thy handmaids. We do not doubt, but we understand that thou, O Yahweh, art come to save and not to destroy. You understand it. Him turning these children into sheep was not an act of destroying. And we already proved that, did we not? From John chapter 10, when Yahshua explains his parable of the good shepherd, he says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But here in chapter 17, notice the women themselves say, we have no doubt, we fully believe that thou, Jesus the Christ, the son of Mary, are come to save and not to destroy. Verse 9. After that, would Yahweh Yahshua said, The children of Israel are like Ethiopians among the people. The women said, Thou, Yahweh, knowest all things, nor is anything concealed from thee. But now we entreat thee, and beseech of thy mercy that thou wouldest restore these boys to their former state. Now notice, right about here is when your weekend Christian will come in and say, that does not sound like the Yahshua that I follow. It doesn't sound like the Jesus Christ of the four Gospels, right? But I ask you, is it impossible for Jesus the Christ to turn an Israelite into a goat or a baby sheep? Absolutely not. Especially when we, as the Israelites, are attributed to kids anyway. Unruly and adulterous children. But... Perhaps that's a study somebody else will bring you in the future. Notice that Yahshua said the children of Israel are just like Ethiopians amongst the people. <laughs> Disdained and despised. Ethiopians. In our Bible, we learn that the Ethiopian cannot change his skin color. That the leopard cannot change his spots, right? Therefore, Yahshua is attributing correctly the children of Israel to who? The beast of burden. And when it all comes down to it, then, just like now, most assuredly, we are like the Ethiopians. We are the tail, they are the head. But continuing on in verse 10. Then Jesus said, Come hither, O boys, that we may go and play. And immediately, in the presence of these women, the kids were changed and returned into the shape of boys, or back into the shape of of Israelite humans. Jesus said, Come hither, O Israelites, that we may go and play. Now, your average person would probably come in right about here and say, Well, Jesus Christ sounds a little arrogant, a little bit conceited, and sounds like he's on a power trip, right? Because those three children hid themselves from Yahshua within a furnace. And Jesus, to spite them, turns them into little goats, right? <laughs> but that's not what Yahshua did, is it? What do we see here is a common worldview found amongst the Israelites, right? We must understand that even though Yahweh Yahshua was God manifest within the flesh, while he was in the flesh, the flesh was the separator. Therefore, what we're dealing with here is just a worldview of a teenager, a normal Israelite. Okay? So that ends chapter 17. And we're about to begin chapter 18 in the book of infancy 1. But notice that Jesus played with boys and they played hide and seek. And some women put his playfellows within a furnace, obviously, and lied to Yahshua by saying, we don't know where they are. Then they're transformed by Yahshua 
and the baby animals. And then finally, they're restored to their former shape. And Yahshua would go back out and play with them. Now you could come in and say Jesus the Christ seemed to be a sadistic person here. That he was trying to prove that he was better than all the other Israelites. But what we see here is that Yahweh God once again in the form of Jesus had the power to give and to take away. Had the power to give life and to take life. He had the keys of life and death. And so, my point with verse 17 here on Wednesday evening is this. That what we just covered is not impossible. And it is not far removed from anything that most of my listeners have probably went through when they were children as well. A simple game of hide and seek. Now granted, we don't go out and turn particular children into goats because we're not God in flesh form. Yahshua was. But in chapter 17, Yahshua proved the validity of the book of Daniel. And not only that, proved that he was the good shepherd. And before we go on, in chapter 18, in infancy 1, there's one more place I'd like you to turn, if it's possible. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. We can read in verse 11. For thus saith Yahweh El, or the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will deliver them out of the places where they have been scattered in the dark and cloudy day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel, by the rivers and by all the inhabited places in the country. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down. Now, if you in your free time continue to read Ezekiel chapter 34, you will know that Yahweh God himself says, I am the good shepherd. Yahshua is the good shepherd. When he claimed to be the good shepherd, he fulfilled that right there in Ezekiel. You understand the analogy? If Yahweh God is the good shepherd, and Yahshua in the New Testament said, I am the good shepherd, and everyone else who came before were thieves and robbers, you best believe it. And that, my friend, is what Yahshua was bringing forth in the Syriac Infancy Gospel, chapter 17. The fact that he is the good shepherd. And not only that, the fact that Yahshua didn't just come in and say it. <laughs> I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, right? But others recognized it. Notice Yahshua didn't say it of himself. The women said it of Yahshua. That's a greater act, scripturally. You can walk around and say, I'm the greatest scholar since sliced bread. It doesn't mean anything unless the majority of the world agree with you. Therefore, the women say it. They immediately worship the Lord Jesus, or Yahweh Yahshua, and beseeched him, saying, O our Yahweh Yahshua, son of Mary, thou art truly that good shepherd of Israel. Now, understand, Yahshua was an adolescent. He was a teenager. Actually, he was preteen here when this transpired. The women themselves say that Jesus the Christ was God, the shepherd of Ezekiel, chapter 34. Very important, because your average doubter and skeptic will come in and say, well, Jesus Christ made a lot of claims. I claim to be a Viking. Does that make me a Viking? I claim to be a cowboy. Am I a cowboy now? <laughs> 
Yahshua didn't say it. Yahshua here, while he was a teenager, did not say, I am the good shepherd, like he does in John 10. The women said that of him. How would they know that if they were not familiar with the Old Testament? And I have proven countless times that as Yahshua walked, those who recognized him as Messiah were familiar with the Old Testament. And those that denied him were those that were blinded from the teaching of the Old Testament, like the Pharisees. So remember that. The women understood that because the women were familiar with Ezekiel chapter 34, where Yahweh says, I am the good shepherd. I will gather my sheep as a shepherd. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. And so we should continue on in chapter 18. Verse 1, we read, In the month Adair, stopping right there, what is the month of Adair? Well, that is the sixth month of the Hebrew calendar. This, for lack of a better term, would not be summer like June is in America, but this would be winter during the times of Yahshua in the land of Jerusalem. So in the month of Adair, in a winter month, Yahshua gathered together the boys and ranked them as though he had been a king. For they spread their garments on the ground for him to sit on, and having made a crown of flowers, put it upon his head, and stood on his right and left as the guards of a king. Right and left as the guards of a king. Perhaps in times past you've heard me preach on the concept that the angels are the right and left hands of Yahweh God. Here what we're seeing is a foreshadowing of Yahshua's death while he is yet a teenager. They spread their garments on the ground for him, right? Is that not what they did during Yahshua's triumphant entry into Jerusalem? Indeed it was. And albeit three days later, they were screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, but that was their sentiment. They spread their own coat off their own back for Yahshua to ride an ass over as he entered into Jerusalem because they believed he was a zealot. A zealot. You understand that? Remember that terminology, zealotus. Because what we're going to deal with here leads up to who Simon the Canaanite is. Because he was a Canaanite, was he not? Everyone looks at Judas. Have I not chosen ye twelve and one of you is a devil? <laughs> uh, continuing on. And having made a crown of flowers, 
Did not Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, have a crown of thorns upon his head? And do not roses, also known as flowers, have thorns on their stems? Indeed, they do. And not only did they put it on his head, they stood on his right and left hand. Normal behavior, once again, for Israelite boys and girls. To play king, to play doctor, to play cowboys and Indians, etc. Verse 3. And if anyone happened to pass by, they took him by force and said, Come hither and worship the king, that you may have a prosperous journey. Were they being bastards in this? No, not at all. You want to have a prosperous journey? from here to Los Angeles or from L.A. to Seattle? Do you want to have a prosperous journey as you walk through God's green earth? Meaning, your walk with God. Do you want it to be prosperous? Then there's a way to do it. You don't need to be taken by force, but you need to worship the king. And Jesus Christ is who? The king of Israel. He already proved that partially from John. He came to be a king. He came unto his own. Realize that, the Israelites? You and I? And we received them not. Is there anything new under the sun? Now we can blame the Jew all you want because the Jews screamed out, give us Barabbas. <laughs> or they consented unto death or were told much later that the Jews are contrary to all men by Paul. We could do that. But don't underestimate the fact that Jesus Christ came unto us and we denied him. Not the Jew, we. We ultimately led to his death, the Israelites. So, very important, Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. And if anyone happened to come by in this allegory, they would say, if you want to have a prosperous journey, you need to worship the king. Not impossible with God. This is a fact. If you want to have a prosperous journey, put Jesus Christ as your king. Verse 4. In the meantime, while these things were doing, there came a certain man carrying a boy upon a couch. For this boy having gone with his companions to the mountain to gather wood, and having found there a partridge's nest, he put his hand in to take out the eggs and was stung by a poisonous serpent, which leaped out of the nest so that he was forced to cry out for the help of his companions, who, when they came forth, found him lying upon the earth like a dead person. Now right about here you should be able to see the similarities to the book of Acts. Because it is in the book of Acts, chapter 9, where we learn of a faithful Israelite who was lowered down on a sofa. Here we learn that there was a boy being carried upon a couch or a chair, a polite way of saying it. This is reiterated in the book of Acts. That the early church was so popular that oftentimes the maimed and the handicapped were not able to actually get to the multitude. And so many Israelites would take it upon themselves and they would lower particular individuals down on a sofa to hear the great teachings of the disciples of Yahshua. Also, notice the similarities to the book of Acts, chapter 28. And I'm going to turn there very quickly. Because in Acts chapter 28, I'm sure you're familiar with this. In verse 3 we read, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire... There came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said to themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he, who Paul, shook off the beast into the fire and felt no 
harm. Notice also the similarities here. Paul is building a fire, right? Stacking sticks, and under those sticks was a viper, and a viper jumped out. In verse 5 of chapter 18 in the Syriac Infancy Gospel, one of the boys, one of the boys that was playing hide-and-seek with him, went to go gather wood. Same thing Paul did. And he was gathering wood, but when he reached into a partridge's nest to get an egg, most likely because he was hungry, he was stung by a poisonous serpent. What is that but a viper? And so once again, a man could come in and say, well, most of infancy one was plagiarized from the book of Acts and from the Gospels and from much of the Old Testament. But is it? Is any of this far removed? Let's continue to see. Remember that when his companions came for him, they found him lying on the ground like he was dead, right? And for all intents and purposes, he was most likely dead. That's why verse 6 says, After which his neighbors came and carried him back into the city. But when they came to the place where Yahweh Yahshua was sitting like a king, and the other boys stood around him like his ministers, the boys made haste to meet him, and said to his neighbors, Come and pay your respects to the king. Now I want to establish a few things before we continue on here in the infancy gospel. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. Right? The usage of the word serpent is very, very important. Because here in Genesis chapter 3, we learn of the serpent, do we not? And we learn that that serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had ever made. Right? Two points. The serpent is more subtle than the beast of the field, and the beast of the field was created by God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Beware the man who comes in and tells you the beast of the field was not created by God. Why? Because the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, which the Lord God created, right? If that be the case, then it stands to reason, and it makes sense to me, that the false prophet will come in and tell you God didn't create the beast of the field. Why? Because he thinks he's more subtle than the beast of the field which God created. That's the first point. So the serpent was created by Yahweh God, right? But yet we also learn in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Right? You've heard that before. How about Revelation chapter 20, verse 2? He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So the second point is this. The serpent always, according to the Bible, equates to the devil. Not every time, because there are literal serpents, but understand another name for Satan or Lucifer is a serpent. So, when he was bitten by the serpent, and they came to Yahshua, where Jesus the Christ was playing earlier, at the beginning of chapter 18, during the month of Adair, and he was playing, and they were spreading out their garments, and calling him a king, etc., because he truly was the king of Israel, right? They come to him, and they say, pay your respects to the king. Verse 8 says, but when, by reason of their sorrow, they refused to come, the boys drew them, and force them against their wills to come. 
Once again, they put hooks in their jowls and forced them to come. Now, we could sit here and draw straws and argue and say that doesn't sound like Yeshua. No, maybe not during his first advent. But it sure sounds like Yeshua during his second, does it not? Where every knee bows and every tongue confesses? That is by force, dear kinsfolk. By reason of their sorrow. They couldn't come and they couldn't play anymore. And that makes perfect sense, does it not? Because they just lost a child, a brother, a fellow Israelite. So they draw them against their will. And many times you must understand this concept, dear friends. Men like myself don't preach because we have ego, because we want to be, number one. We preach because this is how we feed our children. And when it's all said and done and we can't feed our children anymore, well, <laughs> there's not much else we can do. But we cannot draw people against their will. We cannot make them obey the Bible. And when it's all said and done, we only can have faith within Yahweh God. We must do what Yahweh God leads us to do. So, Yahweh God will draw particular people against their will. My point with all of this is I did not choose, per se, to actually preach. I have no other options because I know of one standard of truth. John 17, 17. But continuing on. Verse 9 says, When they came to Yahweh Yahshua, he inquired on what account they carried that boy. Remember, the boy is on a couch, quote-unquote, or a chair, being carried about and or lowered down into buildings, just like we read about in the book of Acts. Because he was invalid, because he was sick, because he was snake-bit, like a majority of the world out there, right? And I'm putting this in a spiritual sense. The teaching is physical. If you get bit by a snake, Yahweh God could get the poison out of you. Or Yahweh God can command that the serpent take the poison back out of you. An even greater act. But if we get snake bit, our only relief from death is Yahweh God, who is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Yahweh Yahshua, the Lord Jesus. Verse 10 says, When they answered that a serpent had bitten him, Yahweh Yahshua said to the boys, let us go and kill that serpent. <laughs> Let us go and kill it. And that, my friends, is my mindset, living in the dirty south. For every type of snake and mushroom that exists, that is non-venomous or non-poisonous, there is an equally destructive and just as dangerous counterpart that looks just like it. Understand that for every poisonous snake, there is one that looks just like them by way of marking, but is non-venomous. And for every mushroom that looks like it's edible, quote-unquote, right, there is a counterpart that is equally as poisonous. So that is an extremely important point. Here in the South, in short, we kill every snake. We're not these liberals who go out and say, oh, that's a good one, that's beneficial, that kills mice in your yard. Yeah, owls do that. The bottom line is kill every snake. <sighs> Perhaps that's a study for another day. But Jesus the Christ says, you know what? Let's go kill that serpent. And Jesus the Christ does go and kill that serpent. And if you think Yahweh in flesh form during the second advent will not come and destroy the Edomite serpentile tares, the children of the wicked one, as per his parable, of the tares and wheat, you are deceived. He will. Here he's confirming that. Jesus said to the boys, the fellow Israelites, let us go and kill that serpent. Therefore, each and every one of us, his disciples, should do the same, spiritually and physically. Kill the serpent. 
Verse 11 says, But when the parents of the boy desired to be excused because their son lay at the point of death, the boys made answer and said, Did not ye hear what the king said? Let us go and kill the serpent. And you won't obey him? You won't obey him? This is justification. This is vindication. Your child was bitten, and for all intents and purposes, he is dead. And what type of parent would not want to see eye for eye, tooth for tooth, exercised within the land, especially considering that Jesus Christ is a teen here, and that law was in full effect? So the boys say, did you not hear what your king, Jesus Christ, said? He said, let us go kill the serpent, and you're not going to obey him? Verse 12 says, so they brought the couch back again, whether they would or not. And when they were come to the nest, Yahweh Yahshua said to the boys, Is this the serpent's lurking place? They said it was. Very simple analogy. Jesus to Christ goes back. Now, in both of these accounts, you need to understand that whether he was playing hide or seek, or whether this child got bit, they did it to themselves. Jesus to Christ was the deliverer. Understand that hiding from God, being turned into a kid, and then being restored was Christ setting back whole. And also here, this child went out, he was collecting eggs on his own account, and he got snake bit by himself. Now this is important in a moment here, because Jesus the Christ doesn't go and say, you know what, I'm going to lay hands on him. I'm going to squeeze his arm and make the uh, venom come out, does he? No. Continuing on. Jesus to Christ confirms, he says, is this the serpent's lurking place? Is this where you were bit? And is this where the snake was who bit you? They all said it was. And then verse 14 continues the narrative. Then Yahweh Yahshua, or the Lord Jesus, calling to the serpent, it presently came forth and submitted to him, to whom he said, Go and suck out all the poison which thou hast infused into that boy. So the serpent crept to the boy and took away all its poison again. <laughs> now you may know already that a serpent does not possess the ability to suck. Although, granted, a serpent can suck down a whole gerbil down his throat. A serpent can suck down a rabbit if he truly chose to. But this is what I was alluding to. Jesus the Christ makes the serpent set straight that which he put crooked. Not himself. Why? Because Jesus the Christ didn't make him crooked. If Christ did not make that young boy's path crooked, then it is not up to Christ to set it back straight again. This is the point. When we go out in life, in the world, in play, work, or in following Yahshua, and we allow ourselves to become snake bit, it is not Jesus' responsibility to make us whole again. It is our responsibility to repent. And Jesus the Christ will make our enemies our footstool, will he not? That is why the Lord Jesus calls to the serpent, or the devil we could say, and it submits to him. Remember that when Yahshua was being tempted of the devil, he would command the devil. He would say, get thee behind me. Or he would say, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord your God only and serve only him. The point with all of this is the devil is beneath God and snakes and scorpions and all of those evil things are subject to us exactly as Christ taught. So, verse 15 says, The serpent crept to the boy 
and took all his poison again. Pay close attention to verse 16. Then Yahweh Yahshua cursed the serpent so it immediately burst asunder and died. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, who was it that cursed the serpent, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning? And this, my friend, is the Proto-Evangelium. This is the very first mention of Christ's coming in all of the Bible. It's considered by theologians, Genesis chapter 3, to be the first gospel. Because it is his mention that Jesus the Christ would come. So, here is the curse upon Satan. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Yahweh, who is spirit, not flesh, says, I will put enmity or hatred between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his head heal. It was Yahweh God in the Old Testament who what? Cursed the serpent. Therefore, in chapter 18 of Infancy 1, it is Jesus the Christ who cursed the serpent. Quote, unquote. The Lord Jesus cursed the serpent so it immediately burst asunder and died. Big difference. Right? No difference. Because what was said to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is that it shall bruise thy head, thou shall bruise his heel. Satan was cursed to die under Yahshua. Perhaps that is a study for another day, and another pastor will bring that forth to you. Let's round out the 18th chapter by reading the final three verses. And he, Jesus the Christ, touched the boy with his hand to restore him to his former health. And when he began to cry, Yahweh Yahshua said, Cease crying, for hereafter thou shalt be my disciple. Final verse of this Wednesday evening and the final verse in chapter 18. This tells you who this boy was, who once was snake bit. And this is that Simon, the Canaanite, who is mentioned in the Gospels. And indeed, Simon, the zealot, or the Canaanite, is mentioned in our Gospels. And why it is so many people always overlook the fact that he was from Canaan is beyond me. But he was considered Simon Canius in the Greek. He was a zealot. He's also known as Simon Zelotes, right? And so, in conclusion, turn with me to the book of Acts, the first chapter. Beginning in verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Oliviet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. So, here's my point with Simon the Canaanite. He was a Canaanite. Understand that? He was. But when it all comes down to it, you don't hear too many people within Christian identity saying, hey, he was a, he was a Canaanite. Rather, they just say he was a zealot, indeed. And they focus everything on Judas who was of Iscariot. <laughs> so remember that. Now this narrative 
in chapter 18 that we covered, which is more attributed to Doubting Thomas, who we just referenced in the first chapter of Acts, basically claims that this same boy who played with Jesus the Christ as a child and played these games of, he's the king, I am a disciple, I am his minister, etc., was the same Simon the Canaanite, the same Simon Zelotes. So in your free time, study this out if it really matters to you, and it should make more sense to you. Why he was snake bit, and why Jesus would deliver him from death. Because had Yahshua not intervened right here, he obviously would have died, right? Because of his own decision, his own choice. This was not Yahweh God waking up and saying, you know what, I'm going to pick on Simon today. I'm going to go ahead and send a snake, unbeknownst to him, to just bite him while he sleeps. No, this is the point. As we go through life, every decision we make has a consequence. Yahshua said, we reap what we sow. This is the concept of karma. And if we go out and we do not pay attention, if we are not attentive, and stick our hand down like Paul or Simon the Canaanite did, into a stack of sticks, we cannot be surprised when a snake comes and latches onto us and bites us. We need to make good. We need to make restitution. And so, I hope that this twelfth part into our look of the Syriac Infancy Gospel has edified you. Now, I already know it's not going to be popular based on the past segments that have been released. And that, my friend, is by design. Please join me next Sunday, about four days from now, 8 p.m., where I, yours truly, will once again be joining my co-host, Dr. James P. Wickstrom, for an all-new Yahweh's Truth Intel Update. Until next time, War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website, or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.